Hello everyone, my name is Ravi Kumar, President at Infosys. Welcome to the next new chapter of Trailblazers. On this chapter, we have two distinguished guests from Stanley Black & Decker, Jim Lori, the CEO and President of uh, Stanley Black & Decker, and Donald Allen, the Chief Financial Officer at Stanley Black & Decker. Jim Lori is uh, the President and CEO at Stanley Black & Decker, has been at uh, Stanley Works since 1999, and he's seen the company grow from two billion to 14 billion approximately in 2018. Uh, has done a variety of uh, acquisitions on this journey, organic growth, and redefined the vision of Stanley Black & Decker as a company, as a company with a global footprint in industrials, as they call it. And um, Stanley Black & Decker is focused around enabling the makers, the doers, the thinkers, and the protectors to innovate in a better world. Uh, Jim has uh, been at General Electric before he came to Stanley Black & Decker. And um, as a part of his leadership journey, um, Stanley Black & Decker has been voted as America's most uh, uh, admired employers for diversity, uh, the Fortune's most admired companies, and uh, the Barron's Sustainability Index. Don Allen, um, Don as, as we call him, uh, has been the chief financial officer at uh, Stanley Black & Decker. Before that, he was, the press, he was the vice president and the corporate controller. And prior to uh, playing that role, uh, he's been uh, working on a variety of firms at Lockheed Corporation, and then before that at Ernst & Young. Uh, so thank you, uh, Jim, and thank you, Donald, for being uh, a part of this talk series. Um, I've always been very inspired by what uh, you're trying to do with uh, making Stanley and Black and & Decker a very relevant firm in the digital age uh, we are all in. Um, I'm going to get the first question up to you, Jim. Mm -hmm. uh, I love this vision of uh, how uh, Stanley Black & Decker is going to enable uh, a future world of uh, thinkers, doers, um, protectors, as you call it, <laughs> and um, how, do you, how you enable them with digital tools. Tell us a little bit about this vision. Uh, and it's a very <coughs> diversified set of uh, mm -hmm. uh, set of brands you are actually now uh, a part of. Yeah. Well, thanks, Ravi. It goes to our purpose, and our purpose is something that we defined about three years ago, right about the time I came into the job. Uh, but we looked at, at the time, 173 years of history, three industrial revolutions, now we're in the fourth, and we were trying to figure out what has made this company so resilient and so successful over that long, long period of time. And I won't go through the entire process about how we came up with a purpose, but it suffice it to say that it took a lot of, uh, a lot of work, especially from looking at it from the, uh, independent third parties, looked at our history, looked at where we were today and where we might be going in the future and what was required of, of, of this company to continue to be successful. And we came up with this purpose. And the purpose is, for those who make the world, keyword make, and also for those. In other words, we are for the people yep. who make the world. And so that could be through uh, many different means. Through our tools, you know, is the most obvious one, but ab actually through our healthcare business, through our engineered fastening business, our security business, and so forth. Uh, and so when I took over, we, we created this purpose, and it became very inspirational for the, for the people, I think, in this company. Well, we'd always had the purpose, but we never really identified what it was. And so that, 
I think has really taken root and it's been very successful. And Jip, uh, you know, if I may uh, ask you one follow-up on this, how do you enable digital technologies into your products so that uh, these products become uh, so relevant in, in, in a digital age where uh, making will be driven by an interface of physical and digital? So, you know, being as traditionally mechanical as we have been over many, many years, uh, the digital revolution is a serious uh, step change function in, in how we operate and how we incorporate yeah. digital into our products, <clears throat> our processes, our business models, you know, all those different things. And so we started about four or five years ago when I was the chief operating officer, and we started making it a priority. Uh, we started bringing subject matter experts into the company, working with third parties outside the company, trying to understand, uh, just trying to show people the power of digital. Because if you can demonstrate the power of digital, then people uh, assimilate that into their everyday, even people that don't have a lot of experience, and they hire the subject matter experts, and you know, the rest is a self-fulfilling you know, prophecy. Don, uh, you know, switching gear, I, I know you have a variety of roles in the firm. Uh, uh, being a chief financial officer is one of your big responsibilities. You manage the IT, you manage uh, the global supply chain, data and analytics, and I also know that you directly uh, run the securities business for the firm as well. Um, and you've overseen like f literally from uh, two billion to 14 billion dollars of revenues of, of M&A activities which was a part of that journey. Um, what, what's the one you spend the most time on of all the response? <laughs> well I would say that um, I probably spend the most time on some of the things that are more transformational today in our company which uh, would be I the IT organization, the advanced data analytics organization, Industry 4.0, and then security, our business security. Those four areas um, are in a serious state of transformation. Right. And at different, different levels, in, in the IT organization, we're looking at how we really digitize certain things and really focus at what we're good at in the world of IT, and then use partners like yourself and other companies to help us do other activities. Industry 4.0 is really about automating the supply chain and the manufacturing footprint and digitizing it as well. And so we started that initiative about two and a half years ago. We built a center of excellence here in Hartford, Connecticut. Yep. And um, we're starting to drive value across that supply chain here in 2019, and we expect that to really ramp up in 2020 as well. And it's really about how we change the way that we manufacture products and use digital tools and automation to do it in a much more efficient and effective manner. But we also have to upskill and train our employee base as well as those changes are happening. Very transformational for our company. And then our security business is going through kind of a business model transformation, which is really how do you um, take a business that provides security to a large commercial building, but be able to offer solutions that have data insights and information that help those customers run their business or their operations more effectively and improve the growth rate of the business and the profitability along the way. And then the last area I mentioned was advanced data analytics, which really helps all those things, which is a center of excellence up in Boston that we've created yep. that is driving data analytics across our businesses, across the three areas I mentioned, and across our other functions as they become more um, effective and efficient at what they do. Fantastic. So Jim, switching gear, um, <clears throat> and actually Don touched upon it, with the global trade conflicts, 
there is a distinctive need to diversify your supply chain, and you were one of the few who mm -hmm. called it out and you made an attempt to do that. Uh, what are the few things you have done to diversify your supply chain and de-risk out of uh, global conflicts which you don't have, sure. trade conflicts which you don't have control on? So about four years ago, even before all the trade noise uh, started to uh, erupt, uh, we embarked upon a strategy for our supply chain which we call make where we sell. Mm -hmm. Because it turns out that the types of customers, especially in the tool business uh, that we have, the tradesmen for example, they really appreciate and prefer buying products and using products that are made locally in the country that they reside. So that was the genesis. We were also concerned about our concentration, particularly in China, but also in Mexico. And so uh, it, just, it just so happened that right about the same time this was occurring, that the Industry 4.0 uh, movement started to take root. And uh, over the last four years, the Industry 4.0 movement has gained such tremendous momentum in uh, Asia and in, in Europe and is starting to gain momentum in the United States now. And it factors very nicely into the um, supply chain strategy that we have because we can now cost effectively manufacture in developed countries. So we opened up a plant in the UK recently, which is unheard of, you know, would have been unheard of you know, in the last 50 years. We opened up several plants in the U.S. We've gone from 20% of products that we sell in the U.S., made in the U.S., up to over 40%, and we're on our way to 60%. And so those are just some examples, but the economics of manufacturing have changed for us as a result of Industry 4.0. And uh, if I may ask you this, this follow-up from this, uh, how do you offset the cost? You know, is, is a part of hyper-productive uh, industry Ford Auto Technologies, embrace of that on your shop floors, is that going to change the economics and offset the uh, supply chain diversification, if I may, or I'm being Absolutely. naive to say that? and that's that. a big driver. Being able to automate and digitize our plants, in particular here in the United States, for the example that Jim was giving, really allows us to be highly productive in the manufacturing of those products and drive much more um, higher levels of efficiency across those plant systems. And as a result, you have that benefit, then you also have a reduction in your freight costs because you're not shipping products right. in from other parts of the world. And so that's kind of an offsetting benefit to that bit of an increase you see in the United States. You know, and is it costs. more to do with robotics or is it, uh, is it any other advanced uh, manufacturing? It's really robotics and it's, it's around digitization of the plant in the sense of providing data and information to the individuals in the plant so they can actually make decisions before something occurs, such as a piece of equipment that might break down, they can actually have predictive analytics that say, this piece of equipment will break down in three days. You need to do some maintenance work, otherwise you'll have downtime of six hours versus a downtime of 30 minutes. It's those types of tools and um, digitization that allows them to be much more efficient. And Jim, uh, if I may ask you, do you see Industry 4.0 as an inflection point for reshoring manufacturing back to the United States? Because mm -hmm. it kind of gives you the, uh, the cost leverage um, and the efficiency leverage to uh, redo what, uh, what happened uh, for offshoring manufacturing sure. facilities. Yeah. You kind of bring it back. Well, it absolutely is an inflection point. You know, it, it's an enabler. Uh, without it, it would be economically challenging, uh, if not impossible. 
Uh, and we also have the benefit of tremendous organic growth. And so uh, those jobs that are, are uh, coming you know, back in from China in particular, but also you know, Mexico and other uh, locations, uh, we're not displacing a lot of workers uh, because we have the growth yep. and you know, the workers are, uh, you know, the company is growing at such a rate that you know, there's plenty of work to be done question is how do you do it efficiently and technology is enabling us to do that in, in developed markets uh, like never before. And uh, uh, how does that tie up to reskilling in the sense, um, you know, blue collar reskilling or factory worker reskilling or, you know, whatever way you call it, seems to be one of the biggest gaps for digitization of uh, large uh, landscapes in manufacturing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think everybody has a magic formula for white collar jobs and reskilling very few firms have figured out what to do with a factory worker to reskill. And you seem to be ahead of the curve of that in, in your thinking and the way you're trying to uh, bring in a framework to digitize all your factories. Yeah, I mean, it's an absolute imperative because, you know, the, the biggest enemy of, of uh, Industry 4.0 is fear. And it's, yeah. it's fear in the, in, the, in the eyes of the workers and also in the management teams, the traditional management teams that have no experience with this. And so we have to com combat the fear uh, through education, training, and so forth. And, and that we're doing, we're doing through a more um, a, a digital approach where we're actually providing training to the hourly workers. Uh, but we're also uh, undertaking some significant uh, local uh, relationships uh, with academic institutions in particular. Uh, for instance, community colleges um, and, and four-year colleges where the training is being provided that is specific to that location yep. because a lot of these plants are in, are in remote locations yep. and the people aren't going to go move somewhere and so you have to do the training locally. And so we're, we're, we have some, we're running some experiments. We've run, run a big one in Jackson, Tennessee. We've run one in Dallas uh, with a company called Generations. Uh, and. Uh, we're, we're seeing great success with this. And I think the other thing is that Industry 4.0 technology has to become, uh, the user interfaces have to be simplified. And I think in conjunction with more training at the local level and simplified user interfaces, that is how we are going to address the uh, opportunity. And I'd say on top of that, there's just a level of digital proficiency that's required by all workers. It's, it's white collar, blue collar, new collar, whatever you want to call them. Uh, there's a level of digital proficiency and there has to be a willingness on the part of the organization to embrace lifelong learning because this is yep. just one chapter, right? I mean, there's, there's going to be more and more chapters and the chapters are going to come at us faster and faster yep. and we're all going to have to learn how to absorb information and increase our individual and our organizational bandwidths. Absolutely. I, I always say this lifelong learning is about how to learn, learn to unlearn and learn to relearn. So uh, I say that a lot too, so yeah, we're very aligned. It's a very fascinating uh, journey about uh, how the lines between blue and white are going to blur in the digital age and you're going to find new age, new age jobs. Um, you know, there's one other thing, you know, of all the digitization needed in, uh, in your landscape. Uh, you need a lot of financial capital to do that. And I know that you, you're transforming your, your landscape to, to create financial capital, if I may. Right and you've uh, already announced to the street that you're going to actually take out financial capital from optimizing your operations. Tell us a little bit about that journey. 
Yeah, I think there's there's actually a bubble that you have to go through for a period of time where you're probably going to spend more capital on some of these technologies. And we've seen that in the last two or three years in our company where um, if you think about capital from a couple of different perspectives, one is just capital like fixed assets and acquiring technology. And then there's things like joint ventures and acquisitions you can do. If you focus on the first one, you know, as a percentage of revenue for capital expenditures, we spend about three to three and a half percent of our revenue today. You look at our history back about five, seven years, we would spend about two to 2.2%. And so we've ramped that up dramatically to invest in some of these technologies. And I think that bubble is probably going to continue for another three to four years. And then I think you're going to see it start to level out. But one of the things that you have to be really careful of in this, this journey that any company takes is that you don't try to take capital away from some of the things that are critical to the core business, such as innovation investments that you make around products. Because if you start to make those types of swaps, you might be okay for a period of time, but ultimately you're gonna cause a problem for your growth rate in the future. And so balancing that and recognizing that you will have to make a higher level of capital investments for a period of time. And maybe three to four years down the road, you see that start to level off. Yep. But it's difficult to predict though where that will go. It just may be a reality of the world today. And um, you know, I had one last question for both of you, and and, and you know, you so bang on on what you just mentioned about uh, financial capital and human capital. I think these are the two mm. things needed to scale digital, yeah. and very few firms have figured out how to do it, both financial and human capital. I think financial capital, some have done it, human capital, everybody is grappling with it. Right. Uh, I just had one one common question to both of you. Um, What's the call for action for manufacturers? What would you advise them? Uh, the ones which are embracing 4.0, industry 4.0 technologies and who are digitizing their, uh, their uh, business models. I think the most important thing a company can do, a manufacturing company can do once it has embraced industry 4.0. If you don't embrace industry 4.0, I, I think you're going to become extinct. Right, so after you've embraced it, I think the most important thing, one of the most important things you can do is to make sure that your approach to uh, people is a very human-centered approach because machines are very impersonal. Algorithms are very impersonal. And they, they can bring bias into the system, decision-making system. Uh, and so we have to make sure we have a governance system to uh, avoid bias. We also just have to try to, we also have to try to be as empathetic and understanding of the human element as possible. Don, what, what would you Yeah, would I would add to what Jim said. I think he's right on the mark with his comments. But I think when you think about it from a business model perspective, Industry 4.0 is a way to really differentiate yourself and create a value proposition as a company that's unique and different versus your competitors. And so if, if you're attacking that right now, you can be ahead of your competitors. And if you continue to invest in that space, in that technology, then it's a way for you to really continue to differentiate going forward, which is really what this is all about, is how do you treat your employees with the level of respect that they deserve, the way that Jim was describing, and then also make sure that your company continues to have a value proposition that's really differentiated versus who you compete with. Yeah, a lot of us get confused about the fact that this is not about just people or machines, it is people amplified by machines yeah. mm -hmm. in many ways. So. Um, you're bang on. Uh, thank you again. I think uh, I've learned a lot from this conversation. Uh, manufacturers, uh, you're leading that wave of Industry 4.0 for manufacturers. And um, all of us are looking forward to see seeing you progress in this journey. Thank you again. It's an exciting journey. Thank you, Ravi. Thank you for all the 
good things you do, great things you do at Infosys, and great organization. We much appreciate it. Mm -hmm.